So, um, Alok, may I now invite you to introduce this book to the world? Thank you, Partho. And first of all, uh, congratulations and as well as a gratitude for starting this kind of a public publishing house because uh, it's not the run of the mill kind of thing and yet uh, you have ventured into a territory which for long has been you know untouched uh, a deeper understanding of the feminine of the myths and legends uh, parables in a deeper light and of course uh, from the deeper spiritual point of view from a mystic point of view so thank you for uh, this wonderful initiative, not only about this book, but you know, books with a very different perspective. And I wish all the success and uh, all grace be with this venture. So this book has a little history. How it started was, I had read one of the um, passages from Swami Vivekananda, and uh, it's actually part of the Tantra Sar, and where he says to worship. Uh, all women as Devi is true Tantra. So it touched me very deeply because normally we understand Tantra as you know associated with all kinds of ritualistic practices. And of course, that's a very deep. In the book, I have covered those portions that what really is Devi worship, what is the Kundalini process, what is the Durga festival we celebrate every year. But this idea that Durga is, of course, uh, those parts are there and she is there as the goddess, the great goddess. But Durga is also the indwelling feminine. And I used to, during the course of my conversations, I have several times referred to this uh, as a little uh, anecdote that when women enter, they are born and when they enter the house after marriage in India, the usual refrain was that uh, Lakshmi has come. She's born, she's Lakshmi. And when she enters the house as a married woman, she's Lakshmi has come. And I used to say this semi-humorously, and still I say this, but if you don't treat Lakshmi the way you should, then she turns into Durga and Kali. So, so better be careful because they are the one feminine which manifests in so many ways. And that's it's, it's something so beautiful about India that it has given us a very rich, many-sided understanding of life and creation, not just one side, one aspect, but a many side. And second thing um, which deeply inspired me with this book is that I observed that Shurabindo, among many things that he ushered, one of the things that he ushered is the age of the feminine. So, you know, uh, while we know that there have been two approaches, the Vedantic and the Tantric, but it's the Vedanta which took precedence. So, you know, the Purusha, 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 so Purusha, liberative action, and maybe, as the mother reflects in one of her early conversations, maybe that's the reason why, uh, you know, there has been a kind of uh, tilt towards the Purusha, the male uh, dominance. But, uh, uh, you know, I think it's the time for the corrective because without the feminine stepping into the forefront of the human quest, uh, it's almost like an entire, in fact, the energy which goes behind in the background. So um, I saw that Shurabindo, among the many things he did, uh, many, many wonderful things, we see that with regard to India, he established Durga as the soul of India. So we see first that it is the feminine which he brought into the forefront. And, uh, you know, this idea of India as motherland. 
so many countries are called as fatherland so this idea was very very uh, beautiful and then we see that in 1926 he places places the mother in front to carry on the you know supramental evolution and he steps in the background and then we see that when he withdraws physically um, beyond the realm of our senses he places in our hands savitri which is again we see that the um, the tremendous uh, epitome of feminine energy which uh, he releases into the world and i mentioned some of these legends savitri ganga many other legends and then it's very unfortunate that when we uh, read all these stories are there as a child i should be fascinated by i mean i read myths extensively just out of fascination but the feminine aspect has been rather in the background uh, and whenever it has been portrayed it's portrayed as if you know the feminine is helpless uh, sita is abla and you know draupadi is to you know go through humiliation but we fail to see the shakti the might of a woman you know draupadi brought down an empire and sita literally by her silence and showed that the entire lanka will be devastated i mean i have seen the sita story in a very different way and i have narrated it here as well and about draupadi so the entire outlook of woman as abla she needs a man she needs somebody to you know depend upon it's a myth which needs to be busted at some point of time because india has worshiped the feminine and i think of all the uh, major religions in the world india is the one religion which i must say proudly that sanatan dharma it is celebrated and brought to the forefront the feminine energy the shakti without him shiva is shava so we see the dance of kali on shiva's breast so many of these things which i used to observe uh, i would pen down so as you said the book was ready but i should pen down for the joy swanta sukhaye and then the last thing which really inspired me to write was that in my life i came across you know you meet several people you meet men women in different capacities uh, some as different forms of relations some in workplaces some as friends some as mother uh, sisters and in all of them i used to feel some some aspect of the divine one something which is there and that aspect became very prominent so even though there were many sides i mean no human being is one sided but i would see that aspect and i would often wonder that look here this is the divine mother coming to me in this way so that became a very fascinating personal journey so uh, i tried to weave all these aspects of my inner life and understanding through these stories so it was also a tribute to the uh, feminine which takes a human form and uh, we meet every day so that the idea is we can take a relook at how we look at women and this is uh, different from the way uh, you know people often talk about in india it's true that you know women off late at least in the last few hundred years there has been a kind of uh, you know they have gone into the background but it is equally true that this is a worldwide phenomenon i mean even where there is a women liberation woman is a pleasure object you know she is used for advertisements and things like that and i always wondered why this should be so uh, so woman as shakti she is not just a woman who is meant to you know uh, give joy of course she can give but much more importantly she is shakti she is the embodiment of the ultimate power so this book is the result of that and as you know several parts one part deals with the myths and legend the background how to understand them how to decode them because very often we have plenty of things we hear about myths and legends 
from the most ridiculous <laughs> to the superficially sublime. When I say superficially sublime, you know, that they seem to be putting in a lot of mystic jargon, but without that deeper thread, connecting thread. And then, of course, uh, there are the great uh, female characters, which uh, are the, you know, immortal ones, uh, which are there, who have not taken apparently human birth, but they are like goddesses, Sati uh, and Parvati, Radha. Uh, she may have taken a birth, but, you know, even as a, from a mystic point of view, there's Ganga, so Shatrupa, the story of Manu and Shatrupa. So many of these stories about women who have apparently not taken a human birth, but they belong to the celestials. And yet they are wonderful in terms of uh, what they convey. And then, of course, the two great women who uh, for me are like um, epitome of what feminine energy can be. Uh, as a child, I was very much inspired by Sita and Prabhupada. And very few people know that there is a whole Adhyatma Ramayana, which is how Sita saw Ramayana. So, you know, so I passingly brought in that element. So that how did Sita look at Rama? How did she look at Ravana? Uh, what was she doing when she went to Shogatika? So this is one part. And drop the, you know, how uh, she literally brought down an empire, just like uh, we have some of these stories. In one of the famous ones was Kanyakumari and uh, Kanyakumari legend also, you know. And if I look at India, the whole map of India is, uh, you know, uh, culturally, it's a formation, spiritual formation. India is not a just a piece of plant. But a formation which the rishis had created through the 51 parts of Sati. If you look at the entire, you know, where all we find the Sati, she almost, uh, it's like a formation. Uh, she presides, that Shakti presides and that Shakti is engaged in Tapasya, Yagna, so that she can be reborn as Parvati, the daughter of the Himalayas. So, all these aspects are there and then of course there are those who took a human birth, you know, there is Gargi, there is Ahalya, the, uh, you know, so much we hear about her, Anusuya and how these women uh, actually um, not only created their own life, strong life, Savitri, of course, but uh, they are exemplary. I mean, I don't find, I find very few examples in uh, among the men who could be, you know, that embody that greatness. So uh, those aspects are also there apart from these epics, two great epics. And at the end, the whole idea is to <coughs> awaken us, inspire us to understand the feminine better. And this might tribute ultimately to the Divine Mother, uh, to whom all that I can say is I owe everything. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. And uh, as an aside, at the, at the end, uh, before I uh, you know, conclude, I must tell you a small little thing that happened today. So as is our... Uh, Way my previous books also, whenever they were released, I took them to mother's home. Uh, and so this book also, I took to mother's home along with writings in Savitri. And uh, normally the custom is that it's placed on mother's cot and then brought back and given with some flour. And uh, it's a blessing. And that has happened to my books, earlier books, and also other people's books. So it's, it's the, how it is done. Today, uh, something inspired the person who was there and she asked me, can I keep it in mother's room permanently? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I said, can you means it's a greatest blessing that I can ever imagine that uh, this book, which is uh, looks at the divine mother and her manifestations, uh, you know, finds a place there where the embodiment of the complete uh, Mahashakti uh, 
12th. So this is the greatest, uh, I can only say gratitude. And uh, maybe I'll close with some lines from Savitri. Uh, can I get that book which is there? Savitri is there. No, Savitri. I'll just read a little passage, uh, which I love, where Shurinder reveals to us the in a very powerful passage about the Divine Mother. And this comes, that passage, uh, I think I mentioned here also, but uh, I'll just read it from the original, where at the end of, uh, as we know that Ashwati takes a whole journey, and at the end he uh, reaches the apex of the mind, and he is ready to go beyond. And at the apex of the mind, he discovers the Divine Mother as the World Mother and he describes it thus Kingdoms of the God and Quartets of the Greater Mind, page 276 But thought nor word can seize eternal truth. The whole world lives in a lonely ray of her sun. In our thinking's close and narrow lamplit house, the vanity of our shut mortal mind Dreams that the chains of thought have made her ours. Her is the divine Shakti who is dancing all about. I mean, we can look at all the patterns in creation and we can see the divine Shakti dancing through them. But only we play with our own brilliant bonds. Tying her down, it is ourselves we tie. To limit the Shaktis, to limit ourselves. You know, this can be, this cannot be. But what is impossible to the divine Shakti uh, and, and the faith in man? In our hypnosis, by one luminous point, we see not what small figure of her we hold. We feel not her inspiring boundlessness. We share not her immortal liberty. Thus is it even with the seer and sage. For still the human limits the divine. Out of our, of our thoughts, we must leap up to sight, breathe her divine, illimitable air. Her simple, vast supremacy confess, dare to surrender to her absolute. Then the unmanifest reflects her form in the still mind as in a living glass. The timeless ray descends into our hearts and we are wrapped into eternity. For truth is wider, greater than her forms. A thousand icons they have made of her and find her in the idols they adore. But she remains herself and infinite. So it's uh, a tribute to the Divine Mother in a different way. And uh, I think the coming of books like this, I'm sure many others, the very fact you have named your publishing house, I just noticed as Kali Printers, the printing blowing publishing house. And, and Kali printer. So blue somehow reminded me also of Kali because it, it reminds me of Shyama and Shyama. Deep blue. <laughs> and Kali printers. So again, I saw that, you know, as a happy um, coming together of events that Kali is the divine mother who changes time. She's the Lord over Kala. So it's so wonderful. And thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you. May many hearts be inspired. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pandey and Partho for this enriching discussion. It is always great to hear from an author's thoughts and his viewpoints. 
On behalf of Blue One Inc., I thank you once again for your gracious presence and time. And to all those who joined us virtually today, we hope you enjoyed the launch and discussion. Thank you for sparing time on a Sunday evening. You can buy a personal copy of The Eternal Feminine from your nearest bookstore or on Amazon India. With this, we conclude today's session and look forward to hosting you for more. Thank you and good night.